This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Kyle Stelter, how's it going, buddy? Uh, beardless, and I do have clothes on, so that's good, but uh, beardless and excellent, I would say. Uh, not leading by example and being closeless like uh, some of our leadership at some events now. <laughs> Uh, this is a this this is an interesting podcast i'm excited for it uh you know we're all seeing the grizzly bear stewardship framework sitting idle so to speak and uh you and mr ellis you hammer this topic home yeah it's good to sit down with scott and uh scott ellis uh abc guide outfitters association of british columbia chief executive officer and executive director and uh, Scott is—he's um, knowledgeable. And, and one thing you're going to learn is just when he starts talking about what he's involved in, it, the list is long, and it's just that's part of the list. Um, Scott's got his hands in many pots, really involved, very passionate about wildlife, very knowledgeable. He's a knowledgeable guy, and um, it's a—it's a pleasure to always talk to Scott because I learn something every single conversation. This is no different. And we kind of dig deep on grizzly bears. Um, you know, some of you have heard about the grizzly bear framework. Uh, some of you have heard about the grizzly bear uh, lawsuit that uh, has been taken upon uh, the British Columbia government. Um, so Scott talks about those two things. And, um, you know, so anyone that hasn't filled out the framework yet, there's a lot of information that Scott will impart in this podcast that will be helpful to you. And uh, Scott's got some really good ideas and some thoughts that will uh, be positive for you moving forward when you're trying to complete that uh, grizzly bear engagement survey. Yeah, I know. And, you know, like you said, Scott's so knowledgeable when he speaks. He's one of those guys that I love just having that five-minute conversation with. Anytime you see him out and about, you're always learning from him. And he's, yeah, he's he's a man of many hats, that guy. Just yeah. Great advocate. Well, and it's interesting too, you know, Scott, uh, there's some organizations or groups that uh, he's involved in that uh, your typical hunter is not, which, uh, which uh, you know, I, I think is, is intelligent. I think they're, you know, it's controversial, um, but he'll talk about unlikely allies on this podcast and, um, you know, people that are do not support what we do. They do not support hunting. They do not support consumptive use. They do not support grizzly bear hunting. And Scott, uh, you know, works with these groups and, uh, you know, he's trying to reach across the fence and, uh, you know, it's been an approach that Joey BC's taken. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's controversial. I get it, but also, um, you know, there's a lot of good work that's being done there. And we look at the, uh, fish, wildlife and habitat coalition that the wild sheep study BC is part of, uh, Scott's a big part of that. And there's some, people on that group that we don't normally work with and normally wouldn't work with, but there's things that we can agree on. And some of them are spending money on wildlife. There's things that habitat enhancement. Uh, we don't talk about the things we disagree on. We don't talk about hunting. Uh, we don't talk about, um, you know, shooting grizzly bears. And, uh, that's not the, the conversation we want to have there, but there are things that with those groups that we do have in common and, and that's what we're working towards. And, um, and these groups are getting more organized and they're getting more, um, they're engaging more with the, the provincial government. They're getting more respect. So, um, you know, working with them is 
probably a good idea unless you want to be on the outside looking in. And I don't, I don't think anyone wants to be there. So. No, no. And that's the thing. We, we all need that seat at the table. And when you have the, the common interest in mind, like you said, it's, uh, it's good. It helps get things done for certain things that we want. And, you know, it, you'd leave the hunting at home kind of deal for those tables, but mm-hmm. yeah, it needs, it needs to be done. Stuff needs to happen. Things needs to change in this province. And, you know, sometimes you just got to think outside the box. Yeah. And, you know, hold our province accountable. And these groups, there's groups that have very common interests, like I just mentioned, habitat, uh, funding for wildlife. They care about those same things. So let's advocate together and let's hold the government accountable. And if we have uh, 4 million people, 4 million British Columbians telling the government they need to do something, we got a hell of a lot better chance than 100,000. And we know that 100,000 hunters don't show up for that conversation anyway. So, you know, let's let's rally the troops and get people on board for the things that at least matter to all of us and that we can have that conversation about. So, Yeah, that's... Uh a good segue to uh lean into our little call of call to action here for the get engaged and go speak your mind on the grizzly bear framework and www.wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now you know cheat sheets are there everything you need to help you sit down and make it happen and make sure you're you're heard so, so. Well, uh, on this podcast, Scott talks a lot about some of these issues, some of the concerns JBC has, and actually Scott simplifies it. He's like, if all you're going to do is this, this is what you need to do. And it's not even say, go kill gri- grizzly bears. That's not that's not the message. Um, he's got some very simple strategies, and, and I agree with Scott. Like, you know, if you're not, if it's overwhelming, just keep it simple. And uh, there's some basic tenets that we believe strongly in science-based wildlife management. Most hunter conservationists believe in that. Uh, funding for wildlife, those sort of things, pretty simple. So, but at the very least, just do the bloody survey. And uh, you know, Scott will give you some tips and tricks that will help you with that survey. And um, and like Greg said, there's there's cheat sheets out there. Um, Wild Sheep BC has one, obviously BCWF, and there's a number of organizations that can give you some tips on on how to how to do that. So. Yeah, no, it's it's good, and uh, yeah, make sure you get it done. So we got something else in the still in the works right now too. Jurassic Classic, we dropped one heck of a a rifle package for the uh, Sacco Steiner combination, and it's is it one of the first, or it's got to be one of the first Sacco ninety adventures in Canada. Yeah, I think when it got shipped to us, it was the first. Um, it was certainly top of the heap. Um, and so, first of all, the Jurassic Classic, a lot of you guys know who what that is. And JABC, and that's kind of why we're talking about tonight, is involved with the Jurassic. And uh, we partner on that program. Great event. And uh, through the Jurassic this year, uh, in fact, every year, either Tika or... Uh, Sacco stepped up and donated a rifle and Steiner the optics and we put together this amazing package so this is a uh, it's a Sacco Adventure 90 it's called and beautiful rifle um, it, we all know what the, the Sacco and Tika actions are like and it's like butter uh, it's a 6.5 Creedmoor it's a perfect sheep gun scope's a little on the heavy side but you're still got a, a really light uh, sheep gun 
and uh, perfect caliber for sheep hunting. So if you're thinking about, you know, you want to upgrade, this is a good one to get some tickets on. Um, we're selling tickets on this until November 4th. So um, you're going to support our conservation efforts. You're going to support wild sheep and you get a chance to win a, a kick-ass rifle from Sacco and Steiner. Yeah, that uh, that Steiner Predator 4 rifle scope, it's a two and a half by to 10 by 42 mil illuminated E3 reticle. That's a, it's a nice, it's a nice scope for, for getting out there and making things happen and connecting the dots. And then that, that rifle too, that's a, I don't know if you want to say a piece of art, but it's beautiful with yeah. carbon fiber stock and the adjustable cheek piece, the Cerakoted stainless steel barrel. Like it just, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of equipment to add to your, uh, your list for going into the backcountry. Yeah, Sacco completely, you know, basically redesigned their whole lineup there. And, you know, it's still got the great greatness of Sacco, but they've, uh, you know, kind of upgraded everything. And there's a bunch of really cool features on that and too many to, to mention. But uh, head over again to the website and there's a bunch of features listed there. And uh, I think this is this is the first one that's available at Raffle in Canada. So, um, again, super grateful to Sacco and Steiner for stepping up, and uh, they've been supporting the Jurassic for years now, and uh, this is a really important part of our funding model for that event. Beautiful. Make sure you guys come go to our website, buy a ticket. Good luck. That draws is November 4th. You betcha. And you'll yeah. be you'll be drawing that at a patio in a pub somewhere, or maybe indoors at that time of year. Yeah, Moon Underwater Pub you know, on Bridge Street in Victoria here. Uh, we drew the six gun raffle last weekend, and that was a blast. It was a super fun time, and we we didn't even plan a pub night. We just did the draw, and we had about a dozen people show up. Like, what, what's the pub night? And we're like, well, we're just drawing the rifle, but we had some beers and had a good time, and uh, lots of laughs. And uh, so we'll put something together November fourth. So there'll be more out on that in the next couple of weeks here. So awesome! Looking forward to it. I think that's a good time to. Uh to roll into this next one with Scott Ellis. Was this episode 151? We're on a roll. Absolutely, 151. You betcha. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Gunworks. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Gunworks, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Pretty cool day for me today. I get to uh, chat with the one and only Mr. Scott Ellis. Uh, we've got the Chief Executive Officer and Executive Director of the Guide Outfitters Association of British Columbia. Scott, always a pleasure to talk to you. We get to do this a lot over a computer screen, and every once in a while we get to do it face-to-face. It's good to see you. Uh, good to be here. Uh, thanks. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Well, we've been talking about this for, honestly, literally months slash years. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of, uh, and we talked about a Jurassic and we're like, okay, we need to connect on, and in particular on grizzly bears, there's a few things. Obviously, there's this framework that's going on right now that a lot of our listeners know about. And uh, the one thing that I'd, I'd like to learn a little bit more about is what's going on with the class action lawsuit a little bit too. But before we jump into all that cool stuff, who the hell is Scott Ellis and what do you do? <laughs> well, thanks, Kyle. Uh, yeah, I guess a little uh, snapshot into my mind, and, and and sorry to hopefully not bore everybody, but you know, I so executive director and CEO for the Guide Outfitters Association, as you said, um, I sit on the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation. So money that we raise from the special sheep permit go through there. A lot of the money raised from hunters and anglers go to sheep conservation and wildlife conservation and restoration in the province. 
uh, co-chair of the Venture Tourism Coalition. So anything to do with the venture tourism in the backcountry. Um, uh, i got good friends that, you know, represent even, um, you know, bear viewing. So that might be a bit of a, a stretch. Um, partner in uh, or part team of uh, on the unlikely allies that normally raises a few eyebrows. Um, and vice chair of the uh, Canadian Federation of Outfitter Association. So I guess all that to say I'm all in. Um, yeah, and I've been here, I don't know, 15 or 16 years and it's time flies and um, love talking about wildlife, love talking about sheep, conservation and and um, yeah, just a little, that's kind of what I do. So. so most importantly though, Scott, do you hunt? <laughs> So my uh, first exposure uh, to hunting was traumatic. Um, you know, I was uh, five years old. Um, my mom picked me up from uh, school and uh, I had just been playing um, in one of those kiddie pools. I don't know if you've seen them or they're, I'm sure they're still around today. They're the plastic ones. They're blue and mine was blue and white at least. And had the you know the the dolphins and the and the whales in it and there was a little slide and I don't know you know they're about six inches deep right and so we came driving in the driveway. My dad's got this buck hanging in the garage, and what's catching all the blood so it doesn't go on the ground? My kiddie pool. Oh my goodness, I was you know fit to be tied and not that happy and you know and <clears throat> mostly concerned about my kiddie pool. Didn't realize you know, didn't think too much of the buck that was, my dad was all proud of. And so after my, you know, my mom gave my dad what for, and I calmed down a little bit and dad told me I was getting a new pool. We we're all good. He started showing me, you know, anatomy of deer and, you know, talking about, you know, black tails. This was in uh, Courtney and it, it was kind of the, the exposure to hunting and, you know, I've just been hunting all my life and my, my brother's hunts, my, my sister hunts, uh, my stepmom hunts. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, wired in the DNA. So you run, you run the show for the guide outfitters and you guys do a ton of great work in the province here, but, uh, my understanding is last fall, you maybe even were doing some guiding on your own or what's the deal there? <laughs> so my, uh, my daughter, uh, graduated from my youngest daughter just graduated from uh UVic in business and the business has a co-op program. And uh, like I say, about 15 years ago when I was hired, they said, well, we're going to put you through a training program and you'll get to see some outfitter camps and lodges and um, maybe, you know, do a little guiding or at least understand how the family business is run. And uh, I said, sure, fantastic. And that never happened. And uh, then um, last year, um, I started talking to my board about this co-op program my daughter was on and how great it was and how this was a promise that was made to me, uh, you know, more than a decade ago. And they said, well, well, why don't we make that happen? So uh, I've successfully guided a couple of black bears, uh, a couple of archery moose, um, might be doing another moose guided trip. So yeah, having a little bit of fun, uh, trying to get a little street cred with uh, uh, my community. Cool. Well, <laughs> it might be in the, the hot seat if uh, you end up giving your day job to go guiding and they have to replace the exec director, the CEO. They wouldn't like that very much, would they? Uh, uh, goodness. Uh, awesome. So, um, Scott, talk a little bit about um, what's happening with the guide outfitting industry. I know that 
COVID for everybody was a train wreck, and uh, for the outfitting industry, it was it was a tough time. How are things looking these days? And you know, how are how's everything on the horizon? Yeah, uh, man, I uh, never want to hear the words COVID again. Um, hopefully, we learned a lot from that. But the border border closures were really tough on the outfitting community. Uh, most of um, most of the people that use an outfitter come from the United States. And uh, it's about 5,000 a year come to uh, British Columbia to hunt big game. And we're back to those numbers again. So really happy that, um, you know, we've rebounded. Um, our American friends see that, you know, we've got, you know, great sheep. We've got great wildlife, uh, safe. Um, you know, they get good uh, good value for money with the exchange, easy to get here. So it's been uh, – it's been a, a really good recovery. That was a painful time and, uh, you know, hope we never get back there. Right on. Um, I'm glad, glad to hear that things are, are looking up and, uh, yeah, I see a lot more smiling outfitters than I did two years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of empathy. I know we all did for what you guys went through as an organization and, uh, just glad to see that most, most groups and most, outfits survived covid which was great to see and um and you guys are a real tight-knit group you guys look out after each other too so it's really good to see that we're on the back side of that so. yeah we i mean we really are a, you know we are really our family family community right so the the folks that uh, that are members of goabc typically you know i i know the you know the family i know how long they've been in business whether that's multiple generations or just started um, you know, I know their kids, I know what their issues are. Uh, at least I try to, um, uh, we lost one, you know, uh, through COVID, which I think is a testament. You, you think about where you would be if you had uh, one year, no income. Um, uh, I could tell you where I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take, you know, Scott, I've always listened to a number of your podcasts and uh, Don Willimon had a great one and you were on there and you guys talked about a lot of real cool issues and I've heard a number over the years uh, that you've done and always appreciate your uh, perspective and you have a very unique perspective leading, uh, you know, British Columbia's guide outfitters. Um, Grizzly bears, uh, you know, very topical now with this engagement stuff. We've got the lawsuit. Um, let's just dive into that and just kind of, I guess maybe let's start off with the the engagement and why people should be involved and kind of what the guide outfitting industry and GOABC's perspective is on it. Yeah, you bet, Kyle. No, I appreciate that. It it is uh, uh, it is something that I I think it's critical. I think that um, you know whether you're from Greater Vancouver or rural Vancouver or Canada or the United States, um, please uh, take a few minutes, take fifteen minutes, read a little bit on the Grizzly Bear Stewardship Framework. And complete the survey. Um, the antis are doing it. You know, they're hosting roundtables. They're, um, you know, bringing in First Nations and um, trying to, you know, further that ca their campaign to solidify that the hunt stays closed. The Grizzly Bear Foundation, you know, is doing a bunch of work and trying to raise a bunch of money um, in that regard. And, and you know, that that's, that's their right to do so. Um, I think that as hunters, um, as those, you know, folks that just think that government will make the right decision and conservation matters and science matters, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't. And, 
you know, uh, politics is involved in hunting, whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter whether you hunt sheep or you don't hunt sheep or you're hunting in Africa or you're hunting in British Columbia. And I think that even you're a domestic American hunter that hunts, you know, in Montana or wherever or whitetails in Pennsylvania, you know, you've got issues that you never had before. And it's the language is all the same. So you can replace, you know, grizzly bear with lion or black bear or hunting with dogs or et cetera, et cetera. The rhetoric's the same. And so I think that, you know, my you know call to action here for hunters is engage. This is an opportunity to engage in the grizzly bear stewardship framework. When the grizzly bear hunt was under pressure, we did not engage as a community. The responses from the resident hunters in British Columbia, from the outfitting community, uh, from our partners, uh, from organizations across Canada and the U.S., it was not enough. And um, let's uh, let's learn from that. Let's um, let's let's engage. And where you have an opportunity, um, talk to your elected elected official. I mean, I'm specifically talking about urban MLAs. So you're a member of a legislative assembly here in you know in British Columbia. And for your listeners that are from Vancouver and what I call a golden triangle, it's even more important. Um, the golden triangle is typically uh, NDP ground. Um, but if you look at the map, the kind of the blue-red map, it is exactly the same throughout the United States. It's the same across Canada generally. And so um, in BC, we've got about 1.4 million people in Vancouver. We've got another about 1.4 million people in, you know, the Victoria, greater Vancouver area. And that's what I call a golden triangle. And then we got about 1.4 million people throughout the rest of British Columbia. So, um, you know, this, this message is kind of an urban rural message, but engage in the U S they have senators and governors, uh, here, uh, what's most important because wildlife is man- managed, uh, provincially mostly just talk to your mla and if you're in one of those urban ridings go talk to them about what's important to you go talk to their ndp uh, mla about wildlife go talk to them about what wildlife needs and um that's how we move the needle it's interesting uh, when this all came out. I've been telling people, "Yeah, go see your MLA." I'm like, "Yeah, I better go see my MLA," uh, which I do pretty regularly anyway. And it was really tough during COVID. She just wouldn't see us. Um, but I had a few conversations with her, and um, she actually is a minister. I think she's—I uh, can't remember what her portfolio is exactly. But uh, I just popped by the office. I thought, you know what? I never get anywhere when I call or email. I walk in, and she was in the office by herself. She was in her stocking feet, and. Uh, she came to the door and I said, oh, can I speak to Grace Lore, who's is is my MLA? And she's like, uh, that's me. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So, And she's like, yeah, come on in. So we sat down. I, I got 40 minutes with her and I just hammered her on the grizzly bear stuff. And she was taking notes and she said, um, she goes, I'm going to take this to the minister environment. I'm like, well, that's, a, that's fine. You can do that. But force is who we really want to hammer. And she, she took detailed notes. Um, she's dyed in the wool NDP as they get and uh, was super... Uh, engaging, and uh, she was insistent that she'd get report back to me on her dialogue with uh, the minister's office, 
And uh, I have to say, I was incredibly impressed. And I can't imagine what it'd be like if there was 30 of us doing that. And she did say that the other aisle was in there, that she did have people in there that were sort of speaking, uh, you know, against the hunt and, and sort of, uh, you know, the opposite narrative that maybe, you know, from a similar place, I guess, but opposite narrative. And she was super great to engage on, you know, did that piece of paper go in the garbage? She cer- certainly made me feel like, um, you know, she was listening and, and she, even at the end of it, she reiterated what we've been talking about, and I was blown away by, you know, her level of comprehension of what I'd raised to her, and I, I can guarantee it wasn't the narrative that she normally was hearing too. So, yeah, I think it works, Scott. Um, and you know, even in these rural urban writings, um, people, if they hear enough of that, they're gonna they're gonna listen a little bit. So, yeah, and I mean, that's kudos to you, Kyle. I think it's really really important. Um, you know, last time I was in to see uh, my MLA, and I knew him before he was an MLA. He he said, uh, uh, "Scott, no offense, your shit doesn't matter here. Hmm. You know, it's not to do with ten dollar a day daycare. It's not to do with you know uh, safe supply. It's not to do with you know the basically the platform before us. Those are not our issues. We're worried about healthcare and education, and goes on on his on his kind of rant." And I'm like, clean air, clean water, you know, so we have healthy habitats for wildlife should be important to you. Shouldn't wait until there's a flood or wildfire for you guys to pay attention, right? I said, I basically told him that's BS. And I said, you should be looking at wildlife and specifically hunting. And I say this all the time. You want indication of healthy habitats? Have a marker. My marker, or I call them KPI, so key performance indicator, is a hunt. So you know you have a healthy uh, population of sheep or you have a healthy grizzly bear population if there's a a hunt. Because in this day and age, generally, based on science, very conservative, well-measured, we know what the harvest is. We know what the effort is. We put that money back into conservation. Like it's it's all good things. Like I tell my green folks that, uh, you know, if there's a hunt, they should be happy. Uh, they're not, but uh, they, they should be because of the just that there's abundant wildlife if there's a hunt. Because if there isn't abundant wildlife, there isn't. You know, the only asterisk there would be grizzly bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when someone goes in to see their MLA, and let's say, you know, somebody's a little intimidated by it all and, um, you know, we're advocating for the hunt. When I walked in, I didn't sit there and say, oh, we want the hunt back. Obviously, it was intertwined with a whole bunch of stuff. What kind of narrative do they need to have? What do we need to focus on in that narrative when with your MLA about what's the, the correct tone that's going to get some buy-in as opposed to, well, we need the hunt back because we like to kill grizzly bears. So what's the best approach there, Scott? <laughs> I probably wouldn't start with, uh, you know, slamming the, you know, fist on the table saying we need to hunt grizzly bears. That's probably probably not their best message, but I, these are people too, right? And they're in your community. Um, I was talking to my dad just uh, yesterday. We're having a problem with some, a different matter. And he said, well, I'm just going to go see the mayor. And I'm like, oh, good for you, right? He said, yeah, you're rubbing off on me. I'm I'm headed to see the mayor. And I'm like, all right, well, (laughs) how are you going to get an appointment to see him? I said, you know, sometimes it's tough getting into the you know, the mayor's office. He said, well, I'm not going to see the mayor in his office. I'm headed to, you know, associate tire. It's like, that's what he owns. That's where he is. That's where I buy my tires. I've known him for, you know, 25 years. So, so in all these communities, you have an MLA, uh, you're going to have issues that 
uh, are important to you in your riding, just talk to them about those things. And I think that you can say, look, um, you know, wildlife is important to us. Funding for wildlife is important to us. Um, you know, um, just talk about your story. You don't have to be an expert on sheep. You don't have to be an expert on grizzly bears. Um, but you can say, you know, you know, managing wildlife is important and, you know, using good science is important. And if you take a species, you know, out of the equation, it's really tough to have a balance and just have a rational conversation um, about wildlife and then, you know, find your way to talk about grizzly bears if you want to. And then if you don't, that's okay too. You can just, you know, talk about sheep if you want, but get that on their radar because otherwise if they're only thinking about, you know, whatever, uh, tender or daycare, daycare or safe supply or someone that got stabbed the other day because it's catch and release. And I always thought that was fishing, but now it's no, it's something to do with how we handle our criminals. You know, they have a bunch of other distractions. And so I guess my thing would be just have them put a face to the name so they know who Kyle Stelter is. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, he's not some, you know, fat, bald, drunk, toothless hunter. He's actually articulate, nice, reasonable person who's in my constituency and actually can articulate a sentence. It's like, huh, like change the stereotype of what a hunter is. Show that you care. And I think if you show that you care, you've, you've, um, you've moved the needle. Cool. Good advice. Okay. Let's, let's dig in a little bit on the grizzly bear stewardship framework. So for those of those that haven't completed the, there's obviously the engagement form. It takes 15 to 30 minutes. You could probably do it in 10 if you were doing a poor job and you, you know, I know people take 30 minutes. There's, it's not overly onerous. It's just a matter of ticking some boxes and there's some comments to write. Um, I know that you have shared with your membership some thoughts on on some ideas just to share some concepts. Uh, we've done the same. Let's let's uh, talk about some of the things that you don't like about that. And sure, let's just talk about the framework. What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Um, what I don't like about it, I would like more um, more opportunity to to you know put more comments in. And so GOABC also wrote a letter as well as a reply to the, uh, the, the questionnaire because lots of the questionnaire questions, you know, they're very specific. You, you uh, pick a, uh, whatever those buttons are called and th that's it. There's not a lot of comments. There's a few comments depending on what you say. So, you know, it would have been um, a little bit better, I think, if you had more space to talk about science or conservation Though I think those would be really good, some principal foundation pieces, and a little bit more about hunting. I think if they talk a little bit more about the hunt, um, I think that would, um, um, I think that would be better. Um, there's enough in there though that it's got the anti-hunting community all riled up. So um, there's, you know, there are some things in there which I do appreciate. Um, and then, like in any questionnaire, it's, you know, what's that? St what's that saying? Something about figures lie and liars figure or something. I, I forget exactly what it is, but I mean, you can make those, you know, the, the survey data that come out of those questionnaires almost say whatever you want to. But I think, um, you know, if you take the time to read a little bit about grizzly bear stewardship, um, I think that 
there are some good text in there. There is um, uh, some good information there about grizzly bears. So that part I like. Um, questionnaire could be better. And the biggest thing is they're counting. And so they count how many people engage. Um, and they don't seem to filter out based on IP address or, or physical address. Uh, initially, we watched that closely and we thought that the province screened that out. And so we didn't push it too much to some of our partners. Um, but it seems that they don't seem to pay too much attention to that. So, you know, uh, I know Wild Sheep Society's pushed it out. I know Wild Sheep Foundation has pushed that out. That's fantastic. We've asked Dallas to do it as well. Uh, SCI to do it as well, and then uh, uh, CFOA across Canada and then APOS specifically because they're close and they've got lots of grizzly bears. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, engagement counts. Um, and I think that, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a PhD on grizzly bears. Just, you know, go through, fill out the questionnaire, take the time to do it. It's worth the 30 minutes. Well, and there's nothing to indicate that of who you are or whatever. So there could be multiple inputs, right? So you could have, you know, you could have somebody doing the same survey day day in and day out and, and skew the data as well. So yeah. it's not a perfect science either. And, and you kind of wonder, you know, on that 2017 survey that was done in, I guess, October or whatever it was, um, where did that information, you know, how skewed was that as well? Right. So it's, uh, well, in, that's one thing about those, um, and I don't remember the name, but I guess there's a, a type of web browser, and this is not my area of expertise, uh, but incognito or something, and you can put that on, and then you don't know who you are. And so uh, it was actually one of my kids came to me and said, hey, Dad, um, you know, and I have no idea how this came up, probably because they're just my kids, and I talk about wildlife all the time. Samantha comes to me, and she says, hey, look, um, did you know that uh, – you know, we'll just say leave the name of the organization out for the moment. Um, uh, they're telling their members to go and use the web browser incognito so they don't get blocked. And they're having people, and I'm, you know, whatever, they're volunteers or paid or not, I don't know, go in and fill out the survey over and over and over again. Because if you go in the regular in through the regular IP address, you can only do it one time. But if you go through incognito, you can do it as many times as you want. So you have these survey results that there's workarounds. And, mm. and and so specifically for the uh, grizzly bear stewardship framework, at the end, you don't have to say if you're a guide or an outfitter or Andy Hunter or member of government or whatever, you know, that, you know, you, you, you can fill that out or not fill that out. There's no, I think we could do a lot better on screening that stuff, but since they don't, and I can tell you that, um, uh, the anti-hunting groups are marketing it to their friends in California. Uh, we need to send it to our friends um, in the U.S. as well. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, what do you think about? So it's interesting in the framework they talk. They do reference hunting actually, and they don't really talk against that. They kind of they're factual about it. They talk about sort of, and it's interesting. I think it's in there. It might have been the. Um, Governor General's report or the Attorney General's report, but I believe it was there was a they they did say in there that hunting was never a cause for population declines that were a conservation concern. I think is how they worded it. I think that was in the framework. So I thought it was. I can see why the anti-hunting community is a little worked up because it certainly wasn't slamming hunting. No, it isn't. It's not their you know it's it's not the rhetoric they use. So you know that's why they're 
they're uh, rattling the sabers and doing their campaigns as best they can. And um, and you're 100% right. It's the Auditor General's report that says the number one threat to grizzly bears in the province of British Columbia is habitat loss. And, and what are we doing about habitat loss? Nothing. So they're worried about the 300 bears a year that are harvested by hunters? Like, come on. Right? When we have – so we have grizzly bears on Vancouver Island. Um, uh, best estimates we've got you know, somewhere around 20. Um, the seals have – killed several so that gives you an idea that there's a problem because they're in communities like kelsey bay and bella coola and or not bella coola um uh anyways north end of the island um and it you know it'll 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 raise people's eyebrows when they get south of the malahat um Mm -hmm. and there will be a time when they get there right so we have grizzly bears in squamish uh we have them in the harrison um, uh, you know, we have them, uh, in Manning park. So, uh, folks that don't know the geography that are from British Columbia, they're, you know, they're, they're the grizzly bear habitat density is increasing, their range is increasing and they're getting closer and closer to that, uh, 2.8 million folks that live in the golden triangle. And when there's more and more incidents in human conflict, uh, in Squamish and Harrison, and maybe one day on the Malahat, then more maybe more people will pay attention. One of my buddies, I won't identify him because people on this podcast know who he is, but he always talks. You know, we need to drop a dozen of them off in Stanley Park and see how the sort of uh, the the tree huggers <laughs> he calls them would react to that if they they're still uh, think we shouldn't kill grizzly bears, but. Uh, that may be a bit extreme, but uh, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. We want to go down the rabbit hole of the twelve coyotes in Stanley Park that you know that they they trap and what an outrage that has been. But yeah, when it's not in your backyard, right? You don't. It's not that big of a deal, right? So in White Rock, where I live, yeah, we don't have any grizzly bears, you know. And so, uh, but I talk to people every day that in northern British Columbia or Kootenays, it doesn't matter, and they have cabins trashed like absolutely like they go in through the floor and out through a wall like that's the end of the cabin and it, it you know it looks worse than a hurricane hurricane went through it's like well what do we what do we do about that well you build another cabin so i was talking to one of one of your outfitters actually he's part of the association he called a couple of weeks ago we were chatting and uh, he—that's he, exactly what happened. He had a grizzly bear destroy his cabin overnight, and he was—he was flying in to fix it. So, you know, anecdotally, what are you hearing from your community, um, the guide, guiding community, relating to grizzly bears on the landscape and what kind of numbers they're having? There was kind of like this fear mongering thing in 2017. Oh, there's going to be all these these problems, and we know they've increased, but uh, how bad is it, Scott? Uh so. I, I, I want to be real careful here, right? Um, when you think about, and I think the number is significantly higher than 15,000. So let's, but that's government's number. Uh, and if we think that we take out hunting, uh, the mortality is 300 a year. It's like, you know, it's not going to be an explosion of grizzly bears. But over time, you start thinking about that. If the number was low, which I believe it was at 15,000, and you add, 300 a year you know that's something um and then you add it to what we knew already so bruce mcclellan is i think the you know smartest and brightest uh, large carnivore 
uh, expert the province has ever had and done, you know, decades and decades of work on grizzly bears in the flathead. And it, you know, it's, it's his reports that are pointing to the, the density of grizzly bears and their range expanding. Um, yeah, we're going to get more and more grizzly bears. So we're going to have more and more problems in the backcountry. And so there's going to be more and more sheep hunters that are going to bump into grizzly bears. There's going to be more and more folks that uh, uh, are out hunting and pull the trigger and have a grizzly bear coming to the dinner bell. Those those are things that are going to be happening. Those that will be a learned behavior by bears, and they will happen. And if you have, you know, if there's more bears, and we are seeing more bears, let's be clear about that. You, you know, we're seeing sows with, you know, two and three cubs, and so. Um, yeah, what is what does that mean? That'll be impacts to ungulates, especially um, calves. That'll be impacts to black bears. You're going to see displacement of black bears. Um, yeah, and you're going to see them in places you never saw them before. And we're seeing all those things. We're seeing all those things. So there's a lot. It's not to do with the number of bears. There is a lot of bears, and there's more and more bears. The exact number, Kyle. You know, I, I'm I'm not sure. I'd I'd rather not guess, but you know, it, it's significantly higher than the the old number that the province had of fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. And what is the uh, anti community usually? Something like six or eight, six to eight or something is a number I see quite frequently. Right. So yeah, yeah. As a standard, as standard uh, operating procedure for them, right? You know, argue the science and say there's only whatever six thousand bears. It's like really, uh, and then, you know, if you looked through uh, uh, some of the grizzly bear work, you'll see that um, most of the populations. So they break it up into I think fifty five grizzly bear population units throughout the province. So you take almost a million. Uh, square kilometers and you divide that into 55 population units and then most of those i believe are done by model so you know you know what do they say there, there's another saying about models i'm it's not coming to me either but it's something that you know all, all models are wrong but all models you know may be helpful depending on what you put in them so, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we really don't know how many grizzly bears are out there, but there's a lot and there's a lot more than 15,000. And uh, I would say anyone that uh, says that there's something like six um, has never been in rural British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked me if I seen any bears on my uh, my tat hunt this year. There was seven bears we've seen in a week or something like that. Uh, seven different ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Lots of those stories, right? I mean, I have people that, you know, have told me that, you know, they're going moose hunting and they see more grizzly bears than moose, you know? Yeah. How, yeah. Uh, how do I document that? Or how do I put that into, you know, some kind of citizen science and send it to the province who says, unless you're a biologist that works for the province, your, your voice doesn't count. You know, that, you know, I would love to see uh, not only incorporation of indigenous knowledges, which is coming or here now, but also, you know, something around the local knowledge or citizen science so that, that they would be able to quantify the number of grizzly bears or sheep that we see. Find what are the criteria for you to accept what we see into your information so that we know how many bears, sheep, whatever are on the ground. Well, and I think that's a big takeaway for me as I look at, you know, and I've gotten more involved in the conservation side of things and talking to guide outfitters that are on the landscape day in and day out. They understand it. They've seen it. They've seen these shifts over time. 
And, you know, we talk about um, local knowledge. Of course, First Nations, that's valuable data. But the guide outfitting community, come on. To me, like, you got to get a guide outfitter that lives in his or her traditional guiding area or their, you know, the their lease area. And, and they, they've got all this data and all this information and the government doesn't even really pay attention to it. It's insane. Yeah, they throw it out as biased. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about science, Scott. Um, you know, at Jurassic, you talked about uh, a little bit about uh, what if science wasn't a thing? What if, we, you know, and I, I we've seen that in that document. That's one thing that bugged me about this framework document is there's a lot of reference to social license and sort of, you know, why they canceled the hunt and, uh, you know, things based on emotion and ethics and, and all this stuff. Uh, what's your take on all that stuff? <laughs> Um, not a loaded question. <laughs> How long do you want me to talk for? Um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the the biggest thing to to to, um, to get across to people that are wired like us, Kyle, and uh, you know that that think that. Um, you know the, the and we I think we do great work. I, I think GABC does great work. I think the Wild Sheep Society of BC does great work. Great conservation efforts. The Jurassic raises money for uh, great conservation work. You know, so we're doing prescribed fire. We're doing rehabilitation projects. We're doing you know uh, transplants. You know, the, all the different work that's been done. It's it's all good and it and and uh, and people that care get involved and they volunteer and you know on and on and on and we all know that stuff. Um, but the anti hunting say they basically say that doesn't matter. Yeah, you you just do that shit so you can kill more stuff, which has some truth to it. And so I think we have to own that. And so I, you know, I I like to uh, poke and prod our uh, community a little bit. I think that science is on our side. Um, I think history is on our side. I think the North American model is is fantastic. I think the North American model you know, has recovered many game species to where they are today. And that should be shouted from the rooftops. Uh, but the anti-hunting community takes shots at that. Um, the funding model in the U.S. obviously is different than the funding model in Canada for conservation. But, you know, it would be it would be great if we had more money come from users like hunters and others in, uh, in Canada. So, you know, back to your question. Um, um, Hunting, you know, we kill stuff, and I, I think, really think we need to own that a little bit. Um, and there's folks that don't like that, and they don't accept that. And so, um, I, I think that we just need to be a little smarter, and then we need to talk outside our community. Um, One campfire is a great example of that. Who cares is another great example of that. That's our program. Uh, I think that we need to talk to those that don't hunt. I think we need to talk to that, you know, in BC specifically, that 2.8 million in the in the Golden Triangle. I think that I think that politics is involved in hunting, and whether you hunt in your own community or you travel to hunt or you travel internationally to hunt, um, there's restrictions on how you bring your trophies home, whether or not you should use the word trophy or not. Um, you know, um, you can't argue the money that's raised. Um, 
but the anti-hunting community is going after that as well. They don't want they don't want the North American model to happen. They don't want auctions to happen. They don't want governor's tags or premier's permits. They don't want any of those things. They want to undermine what we do. And and so I think we need to be smart about that. I, I think we need to think about being more political, I think, because what we saw with grizzly bears is science didn't matter. And so, you know, we as conservation organizations, we kind of, that's a f- foundational piece. That's what we build everything on. That's what we talk about is, is like, this is like the holy grail is science. Science drives conservation. So at the Jurassic, I was, you know, um, I was, uh, you know, trying to be a little provocative there and, and think about what if science doesn't matter? What if conservation doesn't matter? What if all the work that we do does not matter? What if your local politician is going to say, yeah, we're not going to hunt that. And I think I've said it before. There's more uh, grizzly bears than sheep in British Columbia. So for sheep hunters, you should say, holy shit. And so, um, yeah, I, I think people should think about that. There's a, you know, incredibly smart um, group of hunters. Uh, I think we, I think we need to be motivated, and I think that okay, the game's changing. So that comes back to what we were talking about earlier. If it's being more political, know who your mayor is, know who your MLA is, have a relationship from them. I now know where I'm buying my next set of tires, right? You know, I'm going to continue to go back into my MLA and sit at Laura's Coffee with them and say, you know, uh, this stuff does matter. The floods in Chilliwack that happened a couple of years ago, partly because of our forest practices. You should pay attention to that. We have a First Nations community in our backyard, Semiamu First Nations. They are demanding some things. They are saying some stuff. This stuff now matters to urban ridings. It should matter. Um, yeah, okay, maybe we don't have... You know, we don't have grizzly bears or sheep in White Rock, but, you know, the bigger context of of healthy habitats and flooding and wildfire, you know, we, we've come through the worst wildfire season on record. I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. Sure, you can point to climate change and sure, you can point to a bunch of different things, but this province has always burned. And so, you know, we've been really good at uh, forest uh, or wildfire suppression to protect forest interest interests. And we've, you know, really done nothing for prescribed fire and we've not done enough to protect communities. And I think there's a bunch of things we could do better so that when fires burn, they don't burn so big and so hot and out of control and they, and they're devastating. So I think we need to change some things. And I think that people, your MLA, your governor, your senator will pay a lot more attention when you've got, you know, when it affects them, when it's in their backyard. Um, and so if they don't quite get it yet, let's, uh, let's bring it to them. Let's talk about wildlife, right? Let's, uh, let's talk about how important it is that we have good habitats and good forest practices. So we have less forest fires. Yeah. They're started by a lightning, but forest practices have a piece. Same as with the flooding, right? So I think that we can look to these things. Some of them that we can control, let, you know, th- let's try to control them. The ones we can't, 
yeah, that's okay. We can't. But uh, I think the key messages here is is that we've kind of been beaten to the political game, and I think that um, it'll do us well if the hunting community um, talks to their local public official. 100%, Scott. However, I'm going to throw this back at you. So we look back to – actually, before I go there – when I sit down with my friends in Victoria, and I've got friends that are not hunters, in fact, I've got some really close family friends that are, um, the the wife is a vegan, my next door neighbor, he's a vegan, and um, both of them have said to me that I've got more in common with you than everyone that goes to the grocery store. They, they support what I do. They don't support, uh, they won't do what I do because they don't believe in it. They don't want to kill anything. They don't want to harm anything. Um, they understand the narrative behind it, and they said if they weren't vegan and they had to source their own food, they were sourcing meat, they would want to source it the way I do it. Although I'm a shitty hunter and hadn't killed anything for years, so that's a bad <laughs> example. But, um, but that said, you know, it was interesting. So when I talk to my neighbors and my friends, and I give my neighbors wild meat mm-hmm. if I'm lucky to have some, they're all for it. They they love it. I've never had a bad interaction. I had. I've had a few that are not amazing, but never anything where there was it was bad. On top of it, when we look at 2017, there was the survey that was done, that was the engagement that was done around grizzly bears. Less than 5,000 responses, they said. So not an incredibly emotive issue when you think about it. We've got 4 billion, million plus people in BC and 5,000 responses. 1,000 were for the hunt. I think 3,300 were against it. So we look at these numbers and we say, well, how the hell are we getting beat at our game? Because the numbers don't support it. Really, the general public, they're, I guess they're uh, apathetic. They don't really give a shit, honestly. I talk to my buddies. They're like, why do you kill grizzly bears? I don't get it, but I don't really care, to be honest with you. So um, how the hell are we getting our asses handed to us time and time again when it's not really a wedge issue? It's not really that big a deal, but here we're losing it over 3,300 votes that probably half of them came from outside the province. Yeah, uh, fair comment. And so uh, if you look to that time, uh, the BC Liberals, uh, so for our American friends, the Republican Party were running the province. And they were. The NDP was looking for a wedge issue. And the NDP constituency has a green segment to it. And so they were scared to get scared to death of the Green Party. And I'm no political expert, but this is my you know view of the world. So sorry, you put me on the podcast. Um, they were worried about the the you know the orange uh, is the color of our NDP, so new new Democratic Party that think a lot like American Democrats. Um, okay, so what happens if we lose a few seats? I mean, that was a dead heat. It, like it doesn't get any closer. And so um, the premier, um, he actually very charismatic, very smart man. Um, he wanted to hold that uh, group from sliding. He couldn't like 3,300 votes in the wrong riding. If they were BC folks, that was, that was enough to tip the scale. We were down to one seat. One made the difference between who won the party or what, pardon me, who won the election. And so there was a green NDP coalition, and it was the mandate of the NDP and the green to close the hunt. And so they did it. 
Do people care? To be honest, yo, I would agree. The 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 golden triangle or the seventy percent in the middle, whatever you call them, they don't care. Really, I don't really want to see people, you know, killing grizzly bears and have them slide down a snowy slope with blood all over the place. No, I don't want to see that. That pisses me off. Right? Yeah, I, I get that. Hundred percent. Um, and that's what. I, so I touched on earlier about we didn't do anything. We didn't engage. There's a hundred thousand resident hunters in here. Like, so me and 999 others, that's it. That's not enough that, that didn't move the needle. And you would think that, you know, 3,300 out of, you're right, four and a half million. That's, that's not enough, but it was, but it was because it was the, it was the, it was the people that were worried about losing going to the greens. And so if you start thinking about, I don't know how many hunters are in the U.S., but if we've got 110,000 in, in BC, like if, if we all went into our MLA, specifically the ones in, you know, urban ridings and talk to them about wildlife, just what's important to you, how important it is for you to take your holidays and your family and just talk to them as a normal person. And that, you know, we run into more grizzly bears, probably should be a hunt. It's a little bit dangerous out there. That's it. That, that that's no magic, right? That that would I think that's the game we need to play, and we are not playing it well enough. Yeah, well said, Scott. And I guess for those listeners that haven't filled out the the engagement yet, the, the takeaway for me is that you don't have to be a grizzly bear hunter. And uh, you know the one thing about that framework is it's really heavy on emotion and not heavy on the science. There's just there's no objectives they're not managing to you know uh, funding levels or population numbers any of that stuff and um, so just even just start weighing in and articulating about science-based wildlife management that would be a great start uh, you know uh, that's the one takeaway for me and I don't have to be a grizzly bear expert to know that using the science and biology and biologists and the scientific community to make some of these decisions instead of the polling stations to make these decisions is a good start. hundred percent. Totally agree. All right. Uh, anything else on the engagement? Anything else you want to talk about or bring up or thoughts on that? No, I just, um, um, what's your slogan here? Talk is sheep. Action matters. So, you know, take the 15 to 30 minutes and please fill it out. That's and if you have a tone to it that you support hunting, it'll come through. You ask for science-based wildlife management, that'd be fantastic. That's really, that's all you need to do, right? And and um, there's going to be more of this coming in the future. So, you know, that is the game that we're in, whether you like it or not. Yeah, well said. Okay, we're on the subject of grizzly bears, and I know that you guys have, uh, and I want to thank JoABC, and actually it's not JoABC particularly, really, it's two individuals, I think, that are are sort of heading up the class action lawsuit. So um, let's talk a little bit about where we sit with the grizzly bear cl- class action lawsuit. I, I have to say it made me happy. I, Ron Fleming was quoted in the Vancouver Sun about three weeks ago, and it, nothing makes me happier when I see shit like that. I texted Brenda right away. I'm like, Brenda, this makes me so happy seeing Ron, Ron quoted in the Vancouver Sun. And uh, uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's hear what's going on with the lawsuit and what's happening on the Grizzly Bear front. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing I'm going to say is it's uh, it's man, is it a marathon, um, not a sprint? So, um, 
Ron Fleming is lead plaintiff against the province uh, that was filed in uh, about a year after the hunt closed, so um, uh, late 2018. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the pandemic had a role in that, uh, but it is a slow and long and painful process. Um, we have not hid uh, the fact that GOABC is 100% behind this. You know, um, we have updates on uh, GOBC.org on our website. Um, you know, we, we've told the province. Um, and because um, I think they were trying to starve Ron, actually, initially, you know, have large lawyer bills and, you know, have it take 10 years to happen. And, and we wanted them to know that, you know, that GOBC is underwriting this. And GOBC's got friends and partners that are going to help us. And we are going to, you know, fight this to the end. Um, so we received uh, certification on March the 1st. So it's a big deal. So it has basic merit. The judge uh, uh, says it has basic merit uh, and designated what a class was. So a class is basically an outfitter that had quota in 2017 at the time of the closure. Uh, I want to be really clear here. Uh, resident hunters cannot sue. Uh, there's no damages. And winning at trial does not reopen the hunt, right? So we're su suing for damages. We're trying to send a message that if you, you know, you cross the line, someone's going to hold you to account. Um, this is uh, cost a lot of money. So these things are not taken lightly. Uh, but I think that uh, when the line's crossed, you have to stand up for what you believe in. And, um, you know, we're standing up for, um, you know, good government policy, good government decisions. And they when they make, you know, emotional decisions, um, uh, we think that we're going to hold them to account for that. And we'll see whether or not the judge agrees. But um, we... We hope the trial will be sooner than later, but it's it's likely it's going to be late 2024 or 2025. So this whole thing uh, started pre-COVID. It's gone through the process. And the big thing was to get certified, I guess. That's the huge, important part. Yeah, and huge. That's, so that means that the government is there on the lamb some way or the other. No matter what, they're, they're, there's a responsibility. Whereas if it wasn't certified before, it just kind of goes away, I guess. Correct. Okay, so now, um, and then we just play the process out here now. So whatever you know, the government might choose to settle. They might go to court. They might whatever. But it's it's just a now. It's just a long game to see what it's kind of, you know, worst case scenario. This goes to court, and the judge will rule, and there'll be probably some sort of compensation, I guess. Yeah, and so they play with house money, right? So it's the it's the public's money. So there's no. You know, there's no, um, it's not like a company that would do some kind of, you know, I don't know, risk assessment and feasibility and say, mm, yeah, we need to settle or do this or do that. I, I don't know what the province will do. Um, that's that's up to them and their think tank. Um, uh, I just know that there's a lot of resolve within the, and I don't know exactly the number, we don't have it yet, but I would believe that there's somewhere close to uh, 80 to 90 outfitters that are going to be in the class. And, um, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of determined people. So when we look at something like this, uh, we look at an outfitter that, you know, had 
numerous tags over the years. You know, and I think some of these outfitters, they basically, that was their entire, that was their, their job, their livelihood. They probably had a few bear tags or uh, black bear tags, or but that was kind of their bread and butter. Uh, what kind of losses are we talking for, for some of these uh, outfitters? Uh, we lost more to the grizzly bear closure than we lost to COVID. Wow. Oh, amazing. Um, you know, so exactly what the magnitude is um, of the value of uh, uh, of the hunt per se. I don't know. It would be in that thirty to fifty million, um, and then depending on on who you are and where you are, uh, and you know, as you say, how much quota you had. Um, you know, the folks that had you know one grizzly bear a year. You know, you know. So if you lose ten percent of your gross revenue. Not the end of the world. Not really that excited about it, but not the end of the world. But if it was, you know, obviously it was a tipping point for some. If it's, you know, 70, 80% of your gross revenue is grizzly bears, well, yeah, now now it hurts, right? And now you're doing something else. Yeah. Well, um, good luck, Scott. I'm fingers crossed and it's been a uh, – can you talk about at all any of the supporters who's who's been backing you guys? Can you talk about that at all or not really? Um. I, I would just say I'm proud of the hunting community and, and our partners. And so we've seen um, everything from uh, people walking up and, and giving me $10 US at a, at a Wild Sheep Foundation show in Reno um, to, to, you know, different chapters and organizations contributing significant amounts of money because they just are appalled by the decision. And, and, and so are we. So, you know, we've had... Um, you know, a bunch come with, from within our membership, um, but a bunch from just hunters and, um, uh, every dollar goes into that is its own accounting and it all goes to, um, you know, we call it fight for the hunt. And so, you know, it, I've had a few people challenge me that, well, you're not, the lawsuit won't get the hunt back. And I'm like, no, but it sets a pretty damn strong message that you mess with shit. Someone's going to hold you to account. And uh, that's really the message here. Uh, and one day, you know, we're going to keep fighting and one day we hopefully get the hunt back. Um, but it won't be the lawsuit by itself that'll do it. Mm-hmm. So on that note, let's talk a little bit about that hunt coming back. Um, so there's sort of this engagement piece, Why you know, it's a, hence the importance of us all weighing in on that. We can't reiterate that enough. Uh, we're seeing now, we look at uh, great, uh, nation like uh, the Taltan in the northwest corner there they're out there and they've got a bounty now for their members to go out and, and harvest grizzly bears and manage predators and again all under the guise of there's too many predators on the landscape and ungulates are getting decimated out there front. so um, we're seeing some support I think from First Nations for a managed hunt and I think that you know if there's any hope moving forward it would be sort of with the support of First Nations for a, a hunt back in British Columbia what are you seeing from your perspective on that, Scott? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm telling any tales out of school when if you understand the coastal First Nations, um, uh, you know, and their, and their position, it's really, um, you know, close the hunt, keep it closed, and don't hunt grizzly bears. Um, I think there are eight nations in the coastal First Nations. There's 204, I believe, in the province. And so... Um, some have different beliefs than others, but, uh, the further North you go, uh, the more support, the more 
grizzly bears um, have interaction with different First Nations. They've lived with them longer. They understand uh, the, you know, I think the, whatever you want to call that, the dynamic of human conflict on the land. I've seen, I think they've seen firsthand, the Taltan certainly have seen firsthand of impacts to caribou and moose because of, you know, uh, large predator numbers. That, and let's be clear, that's not only grizzly bears, it's other predators too. But, um, you know, um, earlier in the podcast, I made some me- mention to, you know, seeing more grizzly bears than moose. Um, that was out of Taltan territory, right? So, um yeah, you, you, it's reckless to, you know, who in rush hour traffic would, you know, blindfold themselves and take their, you know, hand off the wheel, right? Reckless. Mm-hmm. And I would think that'd be the same if you pick species and call them iconic and then don't manage them and let them be wherever and do whatever. I don't think that's good for the species and I don't think that's good for the other species, right? There's their causes um, or, you know, there's there's impacts to that decision that you make. Um, and so hundred percent, I think that there's a lot of nations in the North that, um, believe that there should be a hunt, believe that their sustenance hunt themselves, um, is not enough. So let's be clear here. First nations have, uh, constitutional rights to hunt grizzly bears for food, social, and ceremonial reasons. Um, and then the Taltan have that, as you mentioned, the thousand dollar, uh, bounty per grizzly bear for uh, Taltan people um, to exercise their constitutional right. Uh, but even with that, grizzly bears are tough to hunt. They're in remote, uh, remote places um, and uh, tough to get to. That That's a challenge. So they're looking for help. And those nations that see too many bears and impact to other species that they are concerned about, so I'd say specifically caribou, but also uh, moose and elk. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I think you're going to see them continue to press the province for um, for some kind of hunt. And I, and where we are with uh, the United Nations, de- uh, de- um, uh, so I'm trying to say undrip um, declaration. Th- yeah. Thanks is. It, that's where we are. We've got we've got an act now that that supports UNDRIP, and I th- I think that you know Indigenous peoples have an, an, an incredible amount of power. I think you know globally as well as specifically in British Columbia. Um, but the the UN declaration really is brought home here, and I think that uh, in the future, if there's a hunt, it'll be with those nations that uh, want hunting to happen. And there's many that do, and many that are pushing for it. So I think the, I think the province is in between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they manage this. So, all right, uh, you got a hunt story for me, or what? Do you have a sheep hunting story? Do you have any <laughs> sheep hunting stories? <laughs> so I'm a. While I'm a life member of the Wild Sheep Society and the Wild Sheep Foundation, I'm a I'm still a less than oneer, and uh, my uh, my only sheep non hunting sheep story I'm in I'm in OK Falls. Um, I'm uh, in the bluffs. If you, I don't know if you know that area or not, but I'm in the bluffs behind OK Falls, and there's this uh, really wise old mule deer buck that I'm trying to close the deal on, and. I'm on top of the, this bluff as the, you know, as it's just coming in shooting light and, and I'm like, I got you now. And, uh, 
see some movement in the trees and and uh then there's it's more than just him and I'm like oh that's weird he's always been by himself and then there's two three and as they clear the trees and they're into this little draw that they're coming towards me it's like holy shit those are sheep i'm like <laughs> that's a band of rams and i'm no expert on sheep hunting but they're like the ones you have on your stage at your event in uh, Kamloops. and i'm like oh i gotta get a photo of this while i'm wearing a fanny pack in my camera no not an iphone or anything but my camera's in my fanny pack so i have to reach around as they're coming up and they're closing the distance right so saw them at whatever it was 75 yards now they're inside 50 and zip i pull the camera out of the my fanny pack. And of course the camera's in a little case, right? And it's Velcro. So I go rip to open it up. And now I got all these rams locked right on me at about, I don't know, 40 yards. And at that time the wind's coming up and no idea that I'm there, but now they're all paying attention. And I'm like, well, if I'm quick enough, I can get a photo. So first you have to turn the camera on, right? And what does it do? It goes, the chime goes off. Ding, 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 ding. And all these rams turn around and I'm seeing ass and feet as I go over the hill. I'm trying to snap these photos and I get blurry photos of like dust and, you know, maybe you can see a couple of, you know, sheep asses, but <laughs> I'm trying to show my buddy. No, really? It was a beauty. Like this ram was huge. And he's like, yeah, right. So anyways, that's the closest I've been to shooting a sheep. Maybe one day you and I well, go sheep hunting and then, um, then I'll I'll take you hunting somewhere else and we'll find you a whitetail or a mule deer or something. Right on. Well, it goes to show you that uh, sheep hunting's easy, right? Anyone can kill them. You're not even hunting them and you can find them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no season there, I don't think, anymore. But uh, it just, uh, you know what? Um, that's the thing I love about hunting is, you know, at that particular time, um, you're on top of the mountain. You know, it's, you know, you're, you're watching, you know, basically the world come to life. Right. As 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 the sun starts to break and you're, you know, you know, uh, you're in this big mule deer bucks backyard and I think I got him and I never got him I, to this day, mm. never got him. So, you know, it's, it's just love the experiences and what you see, uh, the wildlife, whether it's a band of rams um, or, you know, just the grouse you see or uh, the wildlife. It's just something out being out there and I think it's good for everyone mentally and, and, uh, um, you know, I just, I don't know it, uh, I think it's in your DNA. Um, and, um, I love to hunt and I'll be a hunter all my life. Uh, awesome, Scott. I appreciate it. So, um, uh, for anyone that's listening, um, Obviously, a lot of our good friends down south are familiar with the great work that you guys do because they've been up here on guided hunts and um, a lot of people in BC, uh, resident hunters as well. Uh, give them the, the two-minute pitch to why they should buy a GOABC membership and support what you guys are doing. Uh, well, resident hunters can't, but I mean, if, if you hunt, um, you should be a member of your local organization. So uh, if you hunt sheep, Wild Sheep Society of BC, obviously you guys do great work. Um, or uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, or, your, or your local wildlife federation. So in British Columbia, we have the BC Wildlife Federation. I think that, you know, join, be a part of that. Um, these organizations do great work, great conservation work. You learn about hunting and, and uh I, I think you need to do that. If you're an outfitter in BC, you should be a member of GOABC. Uh, I think that we're everywhere. I think that we're on every file. Uh, we have lots of work to do. We have lots of challenges. Um, uh, but I think that being a member of a local organization of what you care about is really important. Um, you know, it, 
if there's a hundred and whatever it is, 110,000 hunters in BC, why isn't there 110,000 members of the wild sheep society or of, uh, or of the BC wildlife federation or backcountry hunters and anglers? Like, I mean, the average hunter, uh, needs to engage. Otherwise, um, you know, who's doing the heavy lifting and your activity that you care about so much may not be available in the future. And, and in that world, I am very scared of. Well said, Scott. Well, I uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, we can't wait years. So we got to do this again. So maybe we recorded Jurassic. It's always, we've moved the Jurassic weekend just so that you can be there so that you don't have your, you can't use your excuse of the family reunion this time. Um, so uh, we'll be able to spend the weekend. We'll do a recorded podcast on the rivers of the Fraser there. I like to do that. I think you moved it because it was Trevor's birthday, but that's okay. You can, you can, uh, uh, you can say you moved it for me, but uh, you know, that's another great event, right? If you're not, if you're not aware of the Jurassic, have a look at that, go to, you know, you know, there's opportunities to, 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 uh, to buy that at different auctions. And that's, that's a, just another great event. Another example, right. It just, uh, camaraderie and collaboration and working together and raising money for conservation is, is fantastic. And I've, I said this before. So Dean work is the owner of the, um, um, great river adventures. And, you know, he's done some who cares, uh, episodes for us. And, uh, it's, it, I always find it interesting that, you know, some of the most negative feedback that we get are, um, on his posts and not cause he says anything wrong. Actually, he's, he's, uh, it's a pretty cool cat the way he speaks, but and he looks like Sammy Hagar, which I give him te- tease about him quite a bit, but the, people are absolutely against catch and release fishery and there's almost no mortality. Like I don't the I, most sustainable activity out there. Like yeah. I, it blows my mind. Doesn't make sense. No, I just, I, I, I don't understand. So, you know, I caught a, you know, eight foot uh, sturgeon with Dean and he's telling me it was caught four times. And I'm like, isn't that cool? But no, some people say that's, you tortured him four times. And I'm like, you know, whatever the thing's like a hundred years old. Isn't that cool? No, it's not cool. It's actually, you know, you're warped and demented and you're, you torture things. And I'm like, that's not how I think. And I'm like, we're raising money for conservation. It's a great, it's a great revenue generator. There's no, almost no footprint. Right. And it was caught four times. And then sometimes you'll catch one that's never been caught before. And like, where has that sturgeon been for, you know, a hundred years? And they're catching sometimes 11, 12 footers that are, you know, unbelievable. And I don't know, just shows you where this world is sometimes is there's our, there are people out there that don't agree with us. Um, so uh, if you feel passionate about hunting and, and fishing and the things you do, um, you know, we need to engage um, not only um, in conservation, but we need to engage politically. And I, and if there's a message or a takeaway for, from, uh, from this, it's uh, Kyle, everyone you talk to, please engage politically. And it MLAs put their pants on one leg at a time. Just take a coffee, go in there and sit down and talk to them. 